Hello friend, I'm Ashton Cope. I absolutely love food, eating, cooking, and most of all, talking about it. I've also always been so drawn and fascinated by the changing of the seasons and how it can affect our lives. A couple of years ago, I decided to start approaching our meals and routines from a seasonal perspective, and through plenty of trial and error, my family's life has changed for the better and we're never looking back. My mission is to help you tune into the seasons in your own way, embrace the change, and love yourself a little more through the process. This is the Eat Your Seasons podcast. Okay, so I'm recording this in the girls' bedroom, and they just got home from school, so if you hear some background noise, that's what it is. Today we're talking about something a little off the beaten path, but that is so near and dear to my heart. How to be more intentional and conscious about our carbon footprint by carefully selecting and utilizing the food that we're eating. I share so many different ways that seasonal eating can help simplify your life, as well as ways that it can make you feel happier, more fulfilled, and productive, but there is another benefit to seasonal living that I haven't shared quite as much about, and that is the positive effect that it can have on our environment. There are so many different things that we can do to be a little bit more earth conscious. We can cut down on our plastic use, try to throw away less use up our food more wisely, and shop less, maybe even shopping at more sustainable and slower fashion retailers. Now, I do try to do all of these things for the most part, but have you ever heard of saying that a jack-of-all-trades is a master of none? We could drive ourselves crazy trying to make all of these lifestyle changes and end up doing a pretty poor job of them. Or we could focus on one swap that suits our existing lifestyle and get really good at it. For you, this could look like shopping at less fast fashion chains like Old Navy, Forever 21, Gap, and H&M. For me, this looks like changing up our grocery shopping, meal planning, and eating habits to conform to a more sustainable way of life through seasonal eating. To give you the WebMD definition, seasonal eating is a sustainable way of changing your diet that has health advantages. This lifestyle encourages you to only eat fruits and vegetables that are in season for your geographic area, like eating pears in the fall, oranges in the winter, asparagus in the spring, tomatoes in the summer, and so on. Have you downloaded my free seasonal produce guide yet? Why not? It's the most user-friendly, comprehensive guide I've ever made. With every single piece of produce and when you can expect it to be in season based on the time of year and month, you're doing yourself a disservice by not utilizing it in your kitchen. With the choice of a PDF or printer-friendly version, you can use it on the go and keep it somewhere safe to use at home. I put mine on the fridge and I've already used it three times this week to plan our weeknight meals. To grab your copy and start eating seasonally in the easiest way possible, head to ashtoncope.com slash seasonal produce guide and grab your PDF, printer version, or both. That's ashtoncope.com slash seasonal produce guide and start enjoying your seasons and all the eats they have to offer even more. So 
How does seasonal eating help reduce our carbon footprint? Well, because eating seasonally means you're eating what is available in your own area, that means that it has a direct correlation to eating locally, which, according to an article published by The Farm Project, has several net positive effects on the environment, including significantly reduced greenhouse gas emissions since your food travels fewer miles to get to your plate. And an article published by sustainablelivingguide.com.au seconded that sentiment when it said, Eating local and seasonal food supports local producers and the production of crops that are appropriate to our environment. It alleviates the reliance on long-distance transport and refrigeration of foods that are grown thousands of kilometers away. Foods grown in sync with the seasons are more in tune with our intuitive nutritional needs. After all, who wants a cucumber sandwich in the middle of winter? And so that is so true too. I have noticed numerous health benefits since I started eating seasonally. And one key reason for that is because the food readily available typically supports the various parts of our bodies that are working overtime during that part of the year. A great example of that is the apple. Apples are available in my area starting usually in September and going through the end of October when flu season begins and the air starts to dry out, which obviously can be really hard on our lungs. Scientific studies have shown that apples support lung health. One plant compound found in apples, quercetin, has antioxidant properties and acts as an antihistamine. It also may help reduce inflammation and regulate allergic reactions that lead to sinus issues. So that whole phrase, an apple a day keeps the doctor away, could actually be pretty true. So that's great that the lessened drive time getting our produce on store shelves helps bring down our carbon footprint. But what about our water footprint? Did you know that your diet makes up for almost your entire water footprint? And in the United States, the agricultural industry makes up for 80% of the water consumed. Water footprints can be broken down into three different categories, which was explained really simply on foodprint.org. So we have our blue water footprint, which is the amount of surface water and groundwater required, evaporated or used directly, to produce an item. So for food, this refers mainly to crop irrigation. We have a green water footprint, the amount of rainwater required, evaporated or used directly, to make an item. For food, this refers to dry farming, where crops receive only rainwater. And then we have our gray water footprint, the amount of fresh water required to dilute pollutants and make water pure enough to meet EPA water quality standards. So for food, the water would have become polluted from agricultural runoff or leaching from the soil. Foodprint.org shares a staggering example of just how much water is used in a single meal through an average lunch. According to data from the Water Footprint Network, this is just amounts of water to make a simple turkey sandwich with soda and chips. So, one loaf of bread 
takes about 240 gallons of water to produce, while one pound of cheese takes about 382 gallons. A simple cheese sandwich adds up to about 56 gallons of water for one sandwich. Add some sliced turkey and the water footprint jumps up to 148 gallons. Throw in a small bag of potato chips, you know, like the mini ones you can get at Subway, and that's another 12 gallons, and now you're up to 160 gallons of water. Include an ice cold soda at 46 gallons, and this sandwich with chips and a drink, typical lunch, took 206 gallons of water to produce for one meal. A simple meal that we didn't even actually cook. When making choices about what to eat or have ready for your family, from snacks to meals, a good rule of thumb to remember is that the more processed the food is, the more water it took to make it. So for example, if you compared a potato chip to a regular potato, ounce for ounce, the water footprint of the chip is higher. Not only do they both use an insane amount of water to just grow the potatoes themselves, but once the potato is harvested, it requires more water to wash the potato, run the machinery, produce frying oil, and then produce driving fuel to deliver the chips to their retailers. Not to mention how much water is used to produce those plastic bags. Our local farming families are very careful and intentional through every step of the planting, watering, and harvesting process. While all types of farming use a good amount of water, that is to be expected in agriculture since plants require three main things to produce fruitage, sunlight, soil, and water. Farming families approach their career and lifestyle from a sustainable place. According to farmversusfactory.com, sustainable farms raise only as many animals as their land can support. So this allows animal manure to be used to fertilize crops, serving as a valuable resource rather than hazardous waste. And local farmers feed their crops naturally without the use of chemicals, which would help cut down on that gray water footprint that we discussed earlier. To dive deeper on how truly dangerous factory farms can be, check out what Foodprint had to say. Concentrated animal feeding operations, or CAFOs, CAFOs, also known as factory farms, typically house thousands of animals, generating millions if not billions of gallons of animal waste per year. Animal waste is stored either in pits, or in open ponds called lagoons. Such waste containment areas often leak and during large storms can rupture. To dispose of the waste, CAFOs spray this manure onto farm fields. The environmental damage from spraying and then from leaking ruptured lagoons can be devastating. Surface and groundwater contamination, which are serious threats to aquatic ecosystems, and excessive nitrates in drinking water, which is a serious threat to public health, stem from CAFO pollution. Animal waste can also include pharmaceutical residues, heavy metals like copper and zinc, and harmful bacteria, which can leach into water supplies. 
Synthetic fertilizers containing both nitrogen and phosphorus are applied imprecisely to farm fields, often at rates far higher than what the plants actually need or what the soil can even absorb. So the excess nutrients from fertilizer leach into surface and groundwater, causing algal blooms and nitrate contamination impacting drinking water, recreational activities like swimming and boating, fishing, shellfishing, and then not to mention marine and aquatic ecology. So this was all very scientific and that was a lot to take in, but basically what it's saying is this animal waste is extremely toxic and it's leaching into drinking water, it's leaching into aquatic life, which is affecting the entire life cycle of most of our fish and water-related food sources, and then it's also going to hurt all of the animals that are trying to drink that, that water so that they can survive and be used for factory farming, if that makes sense. And to bring it back to a reason that I had mentioned earlier, why seasonal eating is so helpful, traveling shorter distances when delivering locally grown and seasonal produce reduces the amount of those greenhouse gas emissions that we put out into the world with our personal vehicles and delivery vehicles. But now we know it's also a positive impact on our water footprint since it takes three quarters of a gallon of water to produce enough gas to drive just one mile. So there's another aspect of how eating seasonally and locally can improve both our carbon footprint as well as our water footprint, even when it comes to the gas in our car. This episode is sponsored by my cold weather self-care checklist. Cold weather got you down? I don't blame you. Living in the Midwest, the summer to fall temperature drop is real. And while autumn is breathtakingly beautiful, it brings with it a lot of rain. And those damp gray days put a chill in your bones that never seems to warm. All of that can really start to get you down. With more than half of our year taken up by colder temps, I've made it my mission to embrace the chill rather than resisting it and letting my seasonal depression take over. After all, the Danes have a phrase that was later coined by Alfred Wainwright that says, there is no such thing as bad weather, only unsuitable clothing. My cold weather self-care checklist offers four different ideas to look after yourself, find the fun even when you haven't seen the sun in more days than you can count, and give yourself permission to do the things you want to do, and for the record, what you're supposed to do during the colder months. Gentle reminder that winter was made for rest and reflection. To download my cold weather self-care checklist and add some fun ideas to your tool belt, head to the show notes for the link. So, like I said, a lot of science and a lot of info. So maybe you're thinking that you'd like to try and be a little more conscious, but you're not sure what the easiest way to get started eating seasonally may be. Well, my friend, I have compiled my top three steps for getting started so that I can make it super easy on you. Number one, start by figuring out what is in season where you live. Google and Pinterest are excellent resources. Many nutritionists and agricultural experts have created printable resources and lists for just that. But I also have created a resource for you. You can head to my website, ashtoncope.com slash seasonal produce guide, and you will find my full list of 
every single piece of produce that is available during every single month and season. So they're categorized into seasons, but each month has its own list and you can then pick from there. And it's a super easy, you can have it as a PDF on your phone, or you can print it out and put it on your refrigerator like I did, so that if you're ever questioning whether or not something is in season, or you're looking for something specific that's in season that you can choose to make a meal out of, you can look at that list, my seasonal produce guide, and it will help you so much. So number two, I would go through and I would figure out what you definitely like, and then what you definitely don't like, and then what you're willing to try. Make a note of the likes and the will tries, and then you can search from there. So you can weed out any of those ones you already know will be a flop. Number three, my favorite way to search for my meals is to be really specific with my keywords. I've said it once and I will say it again. So if I know that week will be really busy, I will search something like quick broccoli dinners or weeknight cabbage meals. And you can do the same thing using terms like crock pot, 20 minute meals, or sheet pan dinners to get even more specific. But this is a way where you can be super hyper specific and vague at the same time, if that makes sense. Now, the same article in Sustainable Living Guide also shared why this is all so important for us personally. It says, changing our eating habits is a simple way to reduce our impact on the environment, address climate change via reduced transport and industrial energy, and support local communities and farmers. You'll support the local community, farmers, and benefit from an interesting and diverse diet year-round, as well as support organizations like local farmers market associations, which advocate low-impact farming. Seasonal crops are more likely to work with, rather than against, local biological and environmental systems and species, minimizing the requirement for pesticides, glass houses, etc., the good sense of eating seasonally aligned local food is a well-developed tenet of preventative medical traditions such as traditional Chinese medicine. Even without applying hard science, intuition and tradition tell us to eat root veggies in the winter, sprouting veggies in the spring, and cooling veggies in the summer. And that is all so true. I love that paragraph so much because the thing that stood out to me the most is that seasonal crops are more likely to work with the ecosystem it's growing in. If it was meant to grow in that place and your climate and your soil and that ecosystem is designed to accommodate that crop, everything is gonna work together cohesively. When you try to force crops, not only does it negatively affect the ecosystem that it's in because it's genuinely wondering why am I here I shouldn't be here but it's also like we mentioned before negatively affecting our environment our carbon footprint and our water footprint seasonal eating was originally divinely designed to just be eating there was a time for most of mankind's time on earth when we didn't have factory farms, industrial freezer ships or planes, and huge semis to haul out-of-season produce across the world. We just had the food that was planted, either literally or figuratively, in our own backyards, and we needed to get creative about how to utilize them all wisely. 
there is so much value and so many needed benefits to getting in touch with that way of life now. Even if it's just a little bit, like checking into what's in season and adding an ingredient or two into your weekly roundup. Whew, that was a mouthful today. <laughs> I know that was not very much time with so much information. But if you enjoyed geeking out with me over food and how we can be more thoughtful with our food and our water ecosystems, be sure to share this episode to your Instagram story with your favorite takeaway and be sure to tag me in it so that I can geek out with you a little bit more. I would also love it if you shared this episode with a friend who would find it fascinating and also if you left me a review so that more people like you can find the show. That is it for me, my friend. Until next time, enjoy this season and all the eats it has to offer. We made it. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Eat Your Seasons podcast. I am so thrilled and honored that you spent your precious time with me and I can't wait to serve you more and more each week. Is this show speaking your language? Be sure to leave a review so more moms like you can find me and tune in every single week. If you'd like even more meal inspiration and seasonal living goodies, be sure to find me on Instagram at Ashton Cope, where I share it all. For all the freebies and referral codes from today's sponsors, you can head on over to ashtoncopeblog.com slash podcast. I will see you there.